Hi, Journey. How y'all doing? Great to be with every single one of you, especially if you're our guest today. We're really honored by your presence. As you can see in that bumper, we're embarking on a new series. It is called Cojourners, and Bob Schwan and Shana Powell and I are team teaching this five-week series. And it's a series that's really premised on this truth, that every single person on planet Earth is on a spiritual journey. Every single person on planet Earth is on a spiritual journey. And like it or not, that's just the way God made us. When he put us together, he wired us up with a strongly spiritual component to our being. And what we know is that some people are journeying closer to God. Others are journeying further away from him. Some people are pursuing little g gods who are not big g God whatsoever. Others are stuck in neutral somewhere along their spiritual journey. They're sort of entangled in some kind of a spiritual quagmire. They're not going anywhere. Some people, as you've experienced, are wide open spiritually. Others are quite closed, locked up, kind of like Fort Knox. Some people are spiritually involved. Others, lots and lots of others, for that matter, are not at all spiritually involved. But no matter the case, every single person on planet Earth is on a spiritual journey. And the invitation of this Cojourners series, this Cojourners model, is that every single one of us, and by every single one of us, I mean every single one of us who call Journey Church our home, that we would become people who regularly come alongside others on the spiritual journey that they're already on in order to help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to be as clear as I know how to be today. Cojourners is not just the latest in a long list of evangelistic fads, not even close. Maybe you've been around Christianity for a long time, and if you have been, you probably remember down through the ages, the eras, the varying evangelistic fads. There have been a whole bunch of them, haven't there? There was the tract era. Some of you might remember that, right? There were all these tracts, and they were printed all over the place, and lots of people just go to the mall parking lot and plaster them all over people's uh, car windshields, and so uh, hoping people wouldn't just throw them on the ground but would read them and come to faith in Christ. That was one era. Then there was the televangelist era where you didn't even have to leave the comfort of your home. You just tuned in on the TV and you got an invitation to Jesus right then and right there. There was the bus ministry era. Some of you may have experienced this where churches would buy large fleets of buses, go out to the four corners of the planet and bus in all the children from all over the city and you know there have been all these various evangelistic fads through the ages now understand there is not anything to criticize about the tools that bring people to relationship with Jesus Christ however the very last thing that the movement of Jesus Christ needs in this season is just another program just another fad and so I'm here to tell you today that Cojourners is not another fad. It's not a program. I'm not inviting you to get involved in any kind of program. Rather, Cojourners is a very simple way of us, all of us, by all, I mean all of us, sharing our faith in Jesus Christ with people in our lives who are already on a spiritual journey through what we're calling conversational evangelism conversational evangelism. And I know even with me saying those words that some of you are really freaked out right now. I, uh, like, excuse the, the um, 
graphic imagery, but when I said those words, conversational evangelism, some of you like sucked upholstery from the seat up inside of you, right? You're like, no, not me, it can't be. Just so you know, they've asked me every single one of these gatherings not to use that illustration, and somehow it's just slipped in. Like, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And some of us say, I just can't talk about Jesus. There is no way. Brian, that's for you. That's for people like you. That's who people have who have your job, your role, your occupation. I can't do that. It's not for me. And that's a lie. That's absolutely a lie. It is miles and miles and miles away from the truth. Because see, you and I talking about our faith in Jesus Christ with other people who, by the way, are already on a spiritual journey is and should be, is intended by God to be just a normal, normative part of what it means to be a Christian. What it means to get in on the global redemptive mission of God himself. And one of the things that I want to build out for you today, one of the things that I want to show you today is that Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, while it is an incredibly powerful text, it is not at all where the mission of God begins on planet earth. Right? Lots of us know Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to be what? What's this text called? The Great Commission. That's exactly right. Three of you got it. It's the Great Commission. And here's, what, here's how it goes. Jesus came. He told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a fantastic text, glorious text. Captures very, very much what we're all supposed to be about as followers of Jesus Christ. And that passage as a singular proof text for all of us living gospel-centric lives focused on the mission of Christ just doesn't cut it. That's not it. We can't put all our eggs in that basket. Not to mention this little truth. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through through 20, has been one of the most preached on, talked about, Bible studied, read, digested, picked apart texts in all of the Bible. And in my opinion, I don't think it's exactly helped the church get more and more mobilized on the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. When we're honest... And when we look in the mirror, me included, scant few followers of Jesus Christ, scant few followers of Jesus Christ are actually doing what Jesus tells us to do, what he instructs us to do in that passage. How many followers of Jesus are making disciples who are making disciples? Like really, how many of us are making disciples who are making disciples? Disciples, which is, by the way, what Jesus is instructing us to do in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 in the Great Commission. Make disciples who make disciples. And the honest answer is not very many of us. Most Christians, candidly, are not. And that bugs me. It puzzles me. It disturbs me. It confounds me. And it's especially confounding because what I know is across Christianity, there are millions and millions of Christians who relish the verses in the Bible that talk about how much salvation benefits us, right? We love those verses like, oh, salvation, it's so wonderful, right? 
And then there's also millions and millions of Christians who relish the verses in the Bible that talk about the eternal destination of those who follow Jesus. Like, heaven someday is going to be fantastic. Can't wait for that, right? Like, whets our appetite and streets of gold and mansions and crowns and, right, all that stuff. Yes, it's going to be glorious. And then there's countless Christians who relish all the verses in the Bible that encourage us when we're distressed, right? We go to those texts and they just bring great, great comfort to us. Just like there's countless Christians who love all the verses in the Bible that just kind of like a kick in the gut, right? Like, you just need to obey God, steer straight, get your act together. Lots and lots of Christians just eat that up. Yeah, keep punching me in the gut again and again and again. Give it to me, God. And yet, in light of all those passages that lots and lots of Christians love, all those verses we like to hang our hats on and we go to various times in our lives, most followers of Jesus Christ miss what I'm calling the bulk of the Bible. And the bulk of the Bible, by the way, is not primarily about the benefits of salvation, the wonder of heaven, the comfort verses of Scripture. The bulk of the Bible even isn't about just obey God and steer straight. The overwhelming bulk of the Bible, the Word of God, the burden, I'm calling it, of the scripture is all about, get this please, the redemptive mission of God. God in pursuit of every single person on planet earth. That's the bulk of the scripture. God's redemptive pursuit of every single person on planet earth. Which means that the gospel of Jesus Christ begins where? It means it begins in Genesis. The gospel of Jesus Christ actually begins in Genesis, the very first book in all of the Bible. So that means that any time then we approach the sacred text of God, the Old Testament or the New Testament, we're encountering the God who created people for relationship, made us for relationship with him, and watch this, we'll go to any length whatsoever to reestablish the relationship that we were made for. Absolutely any Length. And some of us have had those conversations, right, where we're in a conversation, a spiritual conversation with somebody, and they're like, okay, I kind of get the essence of the New Testament. It's about God loving us and God pursuing us. And I read the Old Testament, and I have no peg to hang that on. I, I, I don't, what is the Old Testament? And lots of us were like, uh, I think the Old Testament is like God behaving badly, Right? Some of us, that, that, that's the answer we get. But understand this. From start to finish, the story of Scripture is God pursuing every single person on planet Earth. And he'll go to any length. He'll go to any length to reestablish that relationship. And just so you know, I'm not out on some theological limb here all by myself about the gospel beginning in the book of Genesis, the apostle Paul, who happens to be a really godly, really smart, way more godly, way more smart than I am, he believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ was being proclaimed all the way back in the book of Genesis. Check it out, Galatians 3.8. What's more, Paul writes, the scriptures, he's referring to the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew text, look forward to this time, that's the time that Paul was writing this a couple of thousand years ago, when God would declare the Gentiles, those are non-Jews, remember, to be righteous, not just because they were born into the nation of Israel, nope, 
right? Because Gentiles can't be born into the nation of Israel. But when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous, why? Because of their faith in God. The scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. Now look at this. God proclaimed this good news. And what is the good news? It's the gospel, isn't it? The gospel of Jesus Christ. God proclaimed this good news to who? Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. And where exactly did God talk like that to Abraham? Do you remember? Genesis chapter 12. The gospel begins in the book of Genesis. The entire story of the God of the Bible is the story of him stopping at nothing for the sake of our relationship with him being reestablished and renewed all the way back to its intended state. The relationship that we were designed and created and intended for every single one of us. And there's a lens through which we understand the redemptive mission of God to his people and that lens's name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the lens through which we understand the redemptive mission of God to his people. Let's look at this text in Luke 24, starting in verse 35. Now understand this is post-resurrection here, right? So Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of humanity. He's been buried in the grave for three days. He's risen, and the only way I know how to say it is he's just sort of popping up here and there, appearing to different people, revealing himself as the risen Messiah. He's just sort of showing up. And so as we pick up the story, there's these two guys, if you remember the story, who were walking along the Emmaus Road, and all of a sudden, Jesus just showed up post-resurrection. There he was. They were kind of freaked out. And now we're going to pick up their story as they're telling that story to some of the other disciples. Then the two from Emmaus, the two whom Jesus just showed up as they were walking along the road, told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, And how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. They didn't immediately recognize him. It was some time later. And just as they were telling about it, as fate would have it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. So they're telling the story to the other disciples. And all of a sudden, here's Jesus right there. And they're freaked out. Jesus knows it. So he says, chill out. Peace be with you. That's chill out in New Testament talk. But the whole group, as you might imagine, was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Stop freaking out, guys. It's me. Here I am, just like I was trying to tell you that I would be. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. I'm here, live and in the flesh. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And still, all that, and they still stood there in disbelief filled with joy and wonder, like, could it really be this paradox? Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Now, Jesus wasn't just hungry there. 
He's proving to them, look, I'm not really a ghost because Casper the ghost doesn't eat. He can't eat because if it went in his mouth, it would just sort of fall out. But look, everything works. It's staying inside. And then he said this. When I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's all going to happen, boys, he said. Then he, watch this, opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This moment of aha, this moment of enlightenment that came because of Jesus. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah, that's him, would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. You are witnesses of all these things. And what do witnesses do? They don't just sit passively in church chairs at church services on weekends. Witnesses go and witnesses tell and witnesses proclaim and witnesses declare all of these things. You are witnesses of all these things and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city, that's the city of Jerusalem for them, until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. And what you saw there is in an instant, Jesus Christ opened the minds of the disciples so that they could understand what it is that God has been about from the very beginning of time. Because to that point, they hadn't understood that. They didn't see it. They didn't get it. And then all of a sudden, they saw, ah, God has been in pursuit of every single person on planet earth since the very beginning of time, the light bulb went on. Jesus, see, is the story that flows from the mind and from the purpose of God through the entire sacred text of Scripture, and He is in pursuit of every person and every nation on planet Earth and has been forever and ever. Now, more and more, I'm convinced that in any conversation that any of us ever get to have about God, that we in this day and age must be very, very clear about who precisely it is that we're talking about because our God is not just some generic little g God, is he? The Bible beginning in Genesis introduces us to the very specific, very named, very biographied God whose name is Yahweh. He's often referred to as the Holy One of Israel, as well as a whole bunch of other titles all throughout the Scripture. So when we talk about God, we're talking about the God whom Jesus Christ called Abba, which means Daddy, Father. When we talk about God, we're talking about the God who is worshipped as the Lord by Israelites and His Father and Son and Holy Spirit by followers of Jesus Christ. That's who He is. That's who God is. He is Yahweh. He is not just some generic God. And understand that because of the nature and character and identity of Yahweh, he requires a range of responses on our part to who he is. One of those responses is worship, isn't it? 
And worship isn't just about celebrating in this room on weekends, singing lyrics off of screens with musicians and bands and so. That's a slice, a very small slice of worship. Worship, however, means that our whole life and being are lived for him every single day. It's all for you, God. I go to work, not for a paycheck. It's part of it. But I go to work as worship unto you. I glorify you through this work, God, that you've given me. Another of the responses is living in harmony with the character and will of God. Us just saying that we're followers of Jesus Christ and then going about our business as if we weren't living the opposite of the character and will of God, that is anathema to a follower of Jesus Christ. At least it should be. God says, be holy as I am holy. That means we're in pursuit of his transformation. Don't don't just get on a treadmill and try to make yourself holy because you'll never, ever, ever get that done. It's the power of God via the Holy Spirit in us, refining our character, shaping our character, making us more and more like Jesus, taking the rough edges, and man, I got a lot of rough edges, I don't know about you. Being shaped in the character and nature of God, living in harmony with who he is. The third response to God, especially for we who call ourselves his people, is to commit our life story into the grand story of his mission, his purpose, his design for everybody, for everything, for the nations, for the people, for the creation, the entire creation, which means that for us to encounter God, Yahweh, it is for us every single day to be invited to embrace God's big word, meta-narrative, his grand story, his grand narrative, which explains the way things are, how things have come to be, what the end of this will ultimately look like. From the very beginning of the Bible, from the very first word in the first book of Genesis, God is answering really four fundamental worldview questions any person ever has. The first one is, where are we? Where in the world are we? Well, the answer comes to us from the story of God. We inhabit the earth, which is part of the good creation of the one living personal God, Yahweh. That's where we are. Next question that the sacred text, the story of God answers is, who are we? It's a fantastic question. Part of our spiritual journey is about answering that question. Every person on planet earth is trying to answer that question, who are we? Well, we're human persons made by this God, Yahweh, in God's own image, one of God's creatures, certainly, but unique among them in spiritual and moral relationships and responsibility. We're created by God, and yet we're unique, we're set apart. The next question is a great one, what's gone wrong? How many of you wonder about that like every single day, right? What in the world happened? What's wrong? And the story of God communicates to us what's wrong. Through rebellion and disobedience against our creator God, we, get this, we have generated the mess that we now see around us at every level of our lives, relationships, and environment. It's not somebody else's fault. It's not God's fault. It's not the devil's fault. It's our fault. We did this. Humanity made this mess. And so what is the solution then? What is the solution? Which is what we're all ultimately searching for. What's the solution to all of this? Nothing in and of ourselves. It's not in us. 
We can't fix this problem. We can't solve this mess. Nothing in and of ourselves. But the solution has been initiated by God through his choice and creation of a people, Israel, through whom God intends eventually to bring blessing to all nations of the earth and ultimately to renew the whole creation. That's the story. It stretches from Genesis through Revelation, and it's not just some little yarn. It's not just some epic of classic literature. It is the rendering of reality as an account of the story of the universe that we're walking around in living and breathing in. It's the story of a brand new creation that we're all destined for. It answers the very questions raised by the spiritual journey that every single person on planet Earth is on. And a lot longer before Jesus ever uttered the great commission of Matthew chapter 28. The foundation was laid in the Old Testament of God for everything that God's people, that's us, are supposed to be about. It begins with the shame of Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Listen, O Israel. Listen, O people of God, listen. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You see, we think sometimes that it all begins with us, We get a little arrogant sometimes. We're like, well, the story of God is just really all about us. But it isn't. It's actually all about him. It starts with him. It ends with him. It's all about him. It's God's story. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And then you must love this Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. It begins with him. And then you sort of complement that with this next piece of the law from Leviticus chapter 19. But love your neighbor as yourself. It starts with loving God and then it extends to loving people. And we hear Jesus several times throughout the New Testament endorse that great commandment as it's often called. Because Jesus understands that everything we do as we're coming alongside the people in our world who are on spiritual journeys, as we point them toward him, all of it starts with us loving God and loving people with the same love that God has for people. None of us will ever make a disciple who makes a disciple without loving God first, loving people next. It's the inhale and exhale, see, of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I inhale I love God, and I exhale, I love people. The inhale and the exhale. And the mission that God has set us on to come alongside people on their spiritual journey, remember, it's not our mission, it's God's. It's God's. It isn't so much that God has a mission for his church in the world as much as God has a church for his mission in the world. And so the story of God always begins with him. It's God working his purpose out as year succeeds year, as generations come, as generations go. And then the story of God extends to humanity, that's us, with a mission, which means that to be human is to have a purposeful role in God's creation. We're not just here passing time, treading water. God designed us into all of this which extends then to Israel with a mission. And see, the entire reason that Israel came into existence was for the sake of God's overarching purpose of blessing every other nation on planet Earth through them. Every person, every nation, through the nation of Israel. And then into the midst of his people steps Jesus Christ with a mission. And it was God's mission that determined Jesus' mission. That's just how it worked. And God's mission reached its apex as Jesus died on the cross for humanity, as he reconciled all of creation, all of the world to himself through that act. 
And then the story of God really sort of introduces us to ourselves, which is kind of a weird concept, as the church with a mission. It introduces us to ourselves. The church, that's us, with a mission. A mission that's rooted in his identity and his passion and his victory as the crucified and risen Messiah, the Savior of the world. What did Jesus say? You are my witnesses. You're not just my passive observers. You're not just occupying seats in auditoriums, enjoying inspirational worship gatherings. You are my witnesses sent to tell, Jesus said. And so it was with Israel. They knew God in a very personal way. That meant they were then entrusted to bearing witness to Yahweh in a world of nation and all their gods. And in precise fashion, you and I know the identity of the crucified and risen Jesus. We're therefore entrusted with bearing witness to him all the way to the ends of the earth. You and I. And your mission and my mission is the church of Jesus Christ flows only from the identity of God and Jesus. Because see, when you know who God is, when you know who Jesus Christ is, then walking alongside people on their spiritual journey, witnessing Christ to them through conversation, it's just the unavoidable result. It's just what happens. It's natural. It flows from God, from his mission, from the fulfillment of God's mandate to all of us. We're participants in the purposes of God for the redemption of the whole creation. Every single thing that God's been doing since the very beginning of time, it's his mission, and remarkably, he invites us to join him in that mission. And it's exactly what I'm inviting every single one of us to be about. Without any of us taking a pass, I'm asking you, the entire community called Journey Church, to become co-journers over the course of the next four weeks. Journey, it's time. It's high, high time. Far too many Christians across the church of Jesus Christ have been in Christ for long, long periods of time and have never even once come alongside anybody in their spiritual journey, have never come along outside anybody and even uttered the name of Jesus Christ and said, I want to talk to you about this Jesus who I serve and follow and who laid down his life for me and he did the same for you. Far, far too many and it's time. It's time. And it's time because I believe to the core of my being that there is a literal heaven and there is a literal hell and I believe that both of those places actually exist and that our friends and our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers and our classmates and our roommates and everybody else are going to end up in one of those two places when this life comes to a close. It's real. And I believe that our co-journing with them can make all the difference with them ending up spending forever with God in heaven. And isn't that what we all want? They're real people who need just exactly what it is that we have in our lives. And so I'm asking you, will you today drive a stake deeply in the ground and will you say, I'm going to be one. I'm going to be one who cojourns with the people in my life. I'm going to be the one who helps people take steps of faith toward Jesus Christ. I'm going to be the one who tells the story of God and who invites so many others to join their life to his life in the grandest mission of all. I'm going to be one. Will you be one? 
Take your stuff and set it aside, if you would, please. And I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads now. I invite you to move into a posture of prayer and listening to him, if you would. your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, there's two action steps that I'm going to ask you to take right now. The first one's kind of quirky, but I'm a quirky guy, so bear with me. As your very first co-journing step, would you right now grab your mobile device, your cell phone, right now, grab it. I said it was quirky, just grab it. Get it out of purse, pocket, whatever you got to do. And you're going to text something. And if you're a non-texting person, I think there's three of us these days, then I'm going to ask you to grab one of those cards out of the chair pocket in front of you. If you're a non-texting person, grab a card and a pen. On your phone right now, I'm going to ask you to punch this number in, 406 209 8829 406-209-8829 punch it in there and then I'm going to ask you to text the names the initials however you want to do it this will all be anonymous just so you know nobody will ever see this list publicly I'm going to ask you to text in the names initials of people who you would like to start praying for today somebody who God brings to mind, somebody who you think God is asking you to co-journ with. 406-209-8829. If you're watching on the vodcast or on the podcast, this number's live and you can do this too. 406-209-8829. And you're just praying that God would move in those people's lives. That God would open doors for you to come alongside and cojourn with them right now. So get those names in there, those initials. If you're a non-texter, you can write it on the card and you can drop it in the silo on your way out today. And here's what we're going to do with all those names. And uh, I imagine by now we're up over a thousand or so. Starting right now, our prayer teams around Journey are going to start to pray with you for those people. And we're going to do something else that's even kind of forward, we're going to start to celebrate with you this very bold step of faith that you're taking to pray for whoever God is asking you to cojourn with. We're praying with you and we're celebrating with you that God would show up, that God would move, that God would stir, that God would open doors. We're praying that you would be bold as well. I'm going to ask you to wrap that up if you would. Text in any of those names, initials, first and last, whatever you, first, just first name, however you want to do it. And then I'm going to ask you to return to a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord. Just close your eyes and bow your heads.
What's true is that God is inviting today those who have not yet taken the step of saving faith in Jesus Christ to do that today. Jesus is inviting you into his story today. He's inviting you to salvation from your sin today. And I know in this world, in this life, there's a lot of things that we talk about needing. There's a lot of things in this world that we think we need. But when you strip everything away, you know what we really need is salvation from our sin. That's kind of it. And he's inviting you, God is, to salvation from your sin today. And if that's you He's inviting you to take that bold step of trusting him with your whole heart, your whole life, your whole being. And you can do that right now by praying along with me. I invite you to pray with me if God's prompting your heart that way. And just pray this way. Say, Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner. And salvation from my sin is my greatest need. I got it. And Jesus, today, with all the faith that I can muster, I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. I need you. And right now, Jesus, I'm trusting you as Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, for inviting me into God's grand story. I trust you with my everything, Jesus. And if you're a person who's stepping into faith in Jesus Christ, that is the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more. And it's such a big deal that I'd like to acknowledge your decision with you today. And nobody's looking around this room. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. It's just you, me, and God right now. If you're making that decision to yield your life, your heart, to Jesus today, would you be really bold right now? And would you just lift your hand up and would you lock eyes with me right now? You can do it right now. Let me say yes with you, and yes, absolutely. Way to go, and yes, here to my left, absolutely. And over here, way to my left, absolutely, yes. And over there to my right in the back, yes. And a little closer, yeah, right there, yeah. I stand with you in agreement in here, absolutely. Yes, and in the back, yes, I see you. Way to go. And here, to my left, absolutely, yes. It's a new day. Everything's becoming new in your heart, in your life. Jesus, we thank you from the depths of our being for these who are saying yes to you today. God, thank you so much for pursuing them with all your graciousness and all your love, all your affection. And God, I pray for every single one of us, especially those who are stepping into faith in you for the first time today, that we would live as your sent church, that we would be all about your mission, co-journeying with people in our lives who are already on a spiritual journey. It isn't like we gotta drum it up for them and tell them to be on one. They're already about it. And God, that you would use us in their lives to point them to you. And God, we get freaked out. We just do. We think, ah, 
I don't know all the answers. I can't. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that fear would be banished from our lives, especially when it comes to conversations about you. That God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that holy boldness would sweep across our beings and that we would just step out in faith and that we would trust you. Trust that you're going to show up and you're going to be the one who gives words and you're going to be the one who speaks life, that you're actually the one who's working on the heart of the person we're in conversation, the person we're co-journeying with. We're just simply partnering with you. And so send us, Jesus, on that mission. It's the most exciting thing going on planet Earth. Everything else pales in comparison to helping people connect with you. We're clinging to you. We're trusting you. We're hoping all in you, Jesus. You are the best.